This is Young Lawyer Rising from the American Bar Association Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. I'm Matthew Curtis, founder of LawSubscribe.com and host of your financial wellness episodes. My last guest did such a great job answering all my questions about credit that I had to invite him back. Eric Rosenberg is a financial writer, speaker, and consultant. And today we're going to talk about inflation and not the inflating a balloon kind or whatever happens to my stomach after eating a burrito. And without further ado, let's start the episode. Eric, welcome back to the show. You're our first repeat guest. Truly an honor. I am honored to uh, be back again. Thanks so much. It was great chatting with you last time, and I'm excited to uh, get the inflation discussion underway. It's a hot topic right now for sure. You know, it's a hot topic, but it will keep rearing its head over the years. So this is one of those episodes that it's going to be very useful right now to our listeners and I think again in the future. So thanks so much for being here. Just in case, before we get started, someone's tuning in and they didn't listen to our episode about credit. Do you want to just give a quick introduction to yourself? Sure. Yeah. So my my main gig is I am a freelance financial writer. I write for a bunch of big websites you've heard of, some financial technology startups and things like that. You can find me at ericrosenberg.com. And I also have my own podcast and blog called Personal Profitability that I'd love to have you come check out. All right. Great. So check that out, listeners. So let's just start with a simple definition of of inflation. What What is it? And I just came across the simplest definition I could find is inflation is uh, general increase in prices, and also at the same time, a fall in the purchasing value of money. So what are your thoughts on that definition and how would you define inflation? Well, that is a very accurate definition. And I know lawyers like having accuracy with their word choice. So that's a great way to get kicked off. But to go beyond the legal definition of what inflation is, I think it's it's good to kind of pick it apart and think about how it affects you and how you see it in action, because that's really the best way to understand it. So it's funny, if you think about talking to your parents, or your grandparents, and they say, you know, back in my day, I could go see a movie for a dollar and gas was 25 cents a gallon or, you know, they, they have all these stories. I could buy a, a pack of gum for a penny. And now, you know, we obviously can't do any of those things that cheap. Things cost a lot more. And that is because of inflation. So generally what's happening is there's kind of a little bit of money added to the economy over time. Like if you think about a company like uh, Amazon or Google, any big company, you can buy all their shares of stock and the market capitalization of the company is all of the stock prices times the number of shares outstanding. So with money, the economy kind of works the same way. There's a total value of all the dollars. And if we keep adding dollars, it doesn't necessarily mean they're worth more. But we like to add dollars because it's good to help people you know, find jobs and uh, encourages buying homes and lending. It encourages economic activity. So a little bit of inflation is a good thing. When there's too much inflation, that's when it gets scary. That's when it's a bad thing. And we've seen that in other countries. Fortunately, the U.S. hasn't ever gone through what we call hyperinflation. If you want to see a great story, you can Google Zimbabwe. That's one of the most famous hyperinflation cases. What happened there is they had a lot of government debt. They were trying to keep up with all their bills. And if you run the banks, you can the central bank, you can just print more money. So that's pretty much what they did. I actually have in my little safe here at home, I have 10 $100 trillion 
Zimbabwe bills. I had to Google and figure out it's actually a quadrillion dollars. So I'm a quadrillionaire in Zimbabwe money. And that is worth about enough to buy a loaf of bread on, on the exchange rate. And we've seen this happen in history and other times too. After World War II in Germany, there was a huge hyperinflation. It happens in modern economies. We see it in Venezuela and uh has recently had some challenges around, I think it was Venezuela. I don't want to pick on the wrong country. I've had some big uh, inflation challenges recently. But regardless, so what's happening, it doesn't matter where it is. It's the same thing. So as a consumer, it's bad to have these huge inflation rates because maybe you get your paycheck on Friday and by Monday you can buy 20% less stuff with it. So that's hyperinflation. That's really extreme inflation. What we're seeing, you know, rates around 7%. I mean, you can, you're, you're lawyers, you're pretty smart. You know, you, let's say a big case of toilet paper would be $100. At the end of the year, if there's 7% inflation, it would be $107. So that's just a basic example of how inflation works. And I, I kind of went big there. <laughs> and, and that 7% wasn't out of nowhere, correct? Because uh, at least I read something where they looked back at 2021 and 7%, that was what they calculated was the inflation. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I did not make that number up. We roughly had a 7% inflation rate over the last year as we're recording this. So that means on average, everything you are buying today costs 7% more than everything you bought a year ago. And Unless you got a 7% raise at work, uh, that means that we're all kind of losing money. And I don't know many people who get a 7% raise every year. That's, that's pretty rare. Right. So, right. That, so that's the downside of inflation. And, and I will start digging into how this affects us more as we keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, just a couple more things to unpack there. And that is uh, first quadrillionaire on the podcast, although oh, yeah, yeah. although you're not in the U.S. dollar, but still you're at least the first person to claim uh, claim that status. <laughs> and and uh, what, what it sounds Take like- Take that, to, Jeff Bezos. Yes, yes. And, and what it sounds like to me is assuming you want to have a growing economy, there's really three inevitabilities, and that's death, tax, and inflation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's probably true. If the economy is doing well- we usually want to see different experts have different opinions, but around 2% inflation, uh, according to the U.S. government, is a healthy inflation rate, maybe a little less, but around 2%. Um, when we see 7%, you know, we're, we're almost four times um, that target inflation rate. So that's becoming an issue. But yeah, around 2%, that's healthy because, you know, people, you know, you buy a house, you want to see your house go up in value, not down in value. So that, that's a really good example of how inflation can be good because it makes all homes worth a little bit more over time. And that helps homeowners and might encourage you to want to sell and upgrade. You know, that's good for the economy. It might not be good for your finances, but it's good for the economy. So that, that's a good thing. It's, it's also, it helps with rising wages. You know, if, if everybody's getting a little bit more income, it would make sense that prices might go up a little bit to follow because businesses need to pay people more and they want to make more. It all kind of ties together. It's like a big puzzle. There's no piece of the economy that just operates independently. But inflation is a good thing to just kind of know, know what's going on with. It's a good indicator of where the economy is headed and how healthy the economy is. Right. And it's hard to not steer into uh, into controversial uh, political topics, I'm sure, when talking <laughs> about this. We'll do the best we can. We'll see how we do because, you know, there's a lot of calls right now for increasing the minimum wage. There's a lot of talk about how the government, you know, printed money, our government printed money to stimulate the economy during the early days of the pandemic and whether or not, you know, the inflation we saw may or may not be a result of that and some other policy decisions that uh, that our leaders 
in Congress are making. So it's hard to avoid politics in this. But, oh, yeah. you know, if you, we're, just, we're just talking facts here, folks. That's what we're talking about. We're just talking facts. But, but you, you raised a really interesting uh, point earlier on um, how if you buy a home and there's inflation, that's good for you because the value of your, of your home has, has gone up. So let's talk about that now. If you just have dollars, money in the bank, and it's in a, a savings account or, you know, or a checking account even where there's no interest or a savings account where there's maybe a little bit of interest versus an asset – you know, like a, an asset that increases in value, like a home, you know, not like a car, which is worth less the moment you drive it off the lot. Oh, you yeah. know, so talk to me a, a little bit more about, you know, how inflation affects how you hold on to your money and what you do with it. Sure. So you, you brought up a few good examples that were are worth touching on for how inflation affects every individual's finances. So when you have money in the bank, Let's say you have a checking or a savings account. A checking account, you probably don't get any interest. If you do, it's very small. A savings account, even a really, really good one right now, maybe you're going to get a half a percent interest. Uh, Rates just aren't very high, and that's partially tied to the Federal Reserve funds rate. There's some bigger economic factors at work here. Uh, But if you have money in the bank and your interest rate is lower than the inflation rate, some would argue that you are losing money. So while your number of dollars you have goes up, the purchasing power of those dollars has gone down. So some people would say, I don't agree with them totally, but I've seen people on Twitter say, don't put any money in a savings account now because it's just going to shrink. You should put it all in the stock market. Um, I said, I don't agree with that. (laughs) But there are people who are saying that because they feel like they're losing money by keeping it in the bank. Now, I mentioned the stock market. I, we also mentioned you know, having a car. So there's other places you can put your money. I actually, um, personally, I, I don't know if I recommend this or not. I guess I kind of recommended it, but you know, do it within a reason of what makes sense for you. Uh, there are a type of cryptocurrency called a stable coin, and those are always worth a dollar or whatever currency they're tied to. So I moved a bunch of my cash holdings into stable coins at digital cryptocurrency financial companies that pay me about 8%. So I'm beating inflation there just by a little bit, but there's no FDIC insurance on that. It's not as safe as keeping money in the banks. That's why I say I don't totally recommend everybody does that. Shouldn't do it with all your money for sure. Well, I'm glad you you, you brought up crypto because because okay. um, <laughs> now you could be blamed for it if this uh, conversation goes off the rails. Uh, oh, but, is this going to turn into a crypto uh, podcast? No, no, I could do no. that too. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe, hey, maybe that's a future episode. We could really do a deep dive. But, but that is something that people also say, right? Is is to invest in crypto, and there are some controversies I, I know with certain stable coins. But the idea is once, and we're still early stages. You know, a decade from now, two decades from now, we'll have a better idea of you know the crypto market and stable coins, and and maybe there'll be more regulation or less, depending on. You know yeah, what people yeah. want out of out of it's... cryptocurrencies and the blockchain, but uh, but the idea is with a stable coin. Just so I understand, I know a little bit about it, but also so listeners understand is it means that if you buy a stable coin today for a dollar, that if there is inflation and the dollar the value of a dollar goes up, then the value of that stable coin will also go up. So you're not losing purchasing power as though I put one dollar into a checking account. That's actually no. We we that doesn't work exactly like that. So okay. how it works with the stable coins is it's always worth a dollar. So the one when you said there's some controversies, the big one that's controversial is Tether, and I don't have any money in that. It's I'll, I'll let you do your own reading, <laughs> but I don't have any Tether. Uh, there's the two that I use are called Gemini Dollar, 
from the company Gemini. If you saw the movie The Social Network, it's founded by the Winklevosses, the, the guys who fought Mark Zuckerberg over starting Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have some there. And the other I have is Coinbase's dollar. And that's you know Coinbase, the, the big exchange platform for crypto. So those are the two that I have uh, my dollars at. So with those, they're always worth a dollar. So today they're worth a dollar. A year from now, they're worth a dollar. A hundred years from now, they're worth a dollar. But because I have them in an accounts where I'm getting seven and eight percent interest, I actually get daily payouts uh, on the Gemini account. So every day I'll get you know point whatever Gemini dollars added to my account. So that's how I'm able to beat inflation. It's because they're paying me an interest rate that's higher than the inflation rate. Hello, listeners. We hope you're enjoying this episode. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is. And that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com. Here's a fact about lawyers who switched jobs in the last 12 months. 37% of them moved in pursuit of better work-life balance. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Given irregular schedules and long hours that lawyers often dedicate to their clients, it's no surprise that many are willing to leave in pursuit of a more manageable work life. When interviewing at a law firm, double check to see if they offer work from home options, the ability to adjust your hours when necessary, and have cloud-based software to support that. For more information on what law firms can do to keep good people like you, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com slash trends. Welcome back, listeners. We're picking up right where we left off. We now return to our episode already in progress. So really just as far as the conversation about inflation goes and what you can do to uh, so that your purchasing power of the dollars that you have access to doesn't go down, crypto might just be one of the ways that you can protect yourself against inflation. Yes, exactly. And the stock market is a a more traditional way to do that. If you look at the S&P 500, some people don't think it'll keep doing this, but if you look historically, you average about 10% annual returns there. So if you're able to average 10% annual returns and inflation 7%, you're still beating that by 3%. So you're still in a better position there. And I actually have the majority of my assets in S&P 500 index funds with, with low fees. So most of my money, and that's retirement accounts, things like that, is in, in places that I hope and believe it will be beating inflation. Uh, that's based on historic trends, you know, based on the data. You know, there's never a guarantee. There's always some risk. So whenever you're, the higher interest rate you're going to try to get, the more risk you're likely going to come across. So keep that in mind. But uh, on the other side, you know, with the savings accounts where you 
uh, might be losing purchasing power, that could be worth it in a lot of cases. You know, for let's say an emergency fund, let's say you have cash on hand, you know, maybe you lose your income or your spouse loses your income. Now that can happen. Uh, emergencies happen. Maybe you or your kid ends up in the hospital with a illness or a broken leg. I mean, there's this uh, disease going around that keeps putting people in the hospital that I've heard of. You know, it's not a crazy thing to think that you could have your car break down or your water heater exploded. My water heater literally blew up in my garage on New Year's Day a couple years ago when I was out of town and my wife was here. We had to buy a new water heater for our house that day. You know, that's a financial emergency. So having money in a low interest account to just be ready to pay for something like that, and that's fine for me. I'd rather have that safety and knowledge that even if the bank goes out of business, I'm going to get my money back. So I'll take less than inflation for a portion of my assets that I want to keep absolutely safe. Uh, so as, as again, as I as I move up the risk and reward chain, it's okay to take more risk, but you have to understand what risk you're taking on. So it's not just about diversification of how you invest the money that you have to beat inflation. It's also about having balance in all things and making yes. sure that you still have the cash available, the, the liquidity to handle whatever could come your way. Yes, because we could, you know, after we've had economic cycles in the past, we'll have economic cycles in the future. The markets will go down. Inflation ebbs and flows. It'll probably go down after this, and it'll probably come back up again at some point and go down again at some point. I think it was pretty high in the 80s at a point right before the stock market crashed. Yeah, things can happen. Uh, but if you are diversified in your investments and you have good long-term plans, you should be able to weather whatever storm the markets throw at you, including inflation. So earlier you mentioned uh, the Federal Reserve, and you know, you'll hear talking heads say the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. So tell us, what does the Federal Reserve have to do with inflation? Yes. Yeah, so the Fed or Federal Reserve is the central bank of the United States. So if you ever hear about like the European Central Bank, before the euro, every country kind of had their own central bank over there. But now they have one main one. In the US, ours is the Federal Reserve. So what a central bank does is they are the lender to other banks. They have some very important roles to keep your money flowing. If one bank has too much money and one bank has not enough money, they facilitate processes to, to move things around behind the scenes. And they do that with an interest rate that they set. It's called the Fed funds rate or the Federal Reserve target interest rate. That's a thing you'll see again, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you'll see it all over. So that is a target interest rate the Federal Reserve uses for interbank lending. And the interest rates you pay and you receive from all of your accounts are kind of tied to that. So if, if you see that rate go up by a half a percent, you'll probably see your credit card interest rates all go up by half a percent and your savings accounts go up by a little less than half a percent because the banks want more profit. <laughs> but uh, And that's how they'll get it. So that's a really important role that the Federal Reserve does. But overall, they have other tools at their disposal as well. So there's a couple important terms, monetary policy and fiscal policy. And I wanted to make sure I got this right. So I, I pulled it up on Investopedia. Uh, this is going back to my college textbook days. But <laughs> monetary policy is what the Federal Reserve takes care of. And that is handling the money supply and that interest rate we talked about. So the Federal Reserve can decide to print more money essentially, or take money out of the economy as a way to stimulate growth or slow down growth. 
adding money to the economy usually stimulates growth, but that also increases inflation. So they have a really tricky job of it's a balancing act, just like we have to balance our investments and figure out what's right for us. The Fed is trying to balance those tools that they have to keep the economy growing, to keep people employed. The unemployment rate is part of what's under their, I guess, auspices to, to work on as, as the Federal Reserve. But they, they can't control everything. They do have bosses. You know, we said uh, we won't try to blame politicians too much for things, but the Federal Reserve chair is appointed by the president. So there is a political aspect there. The president is not supposed to tell the Federal Reserve what to do. Uh, the last guy did try to do that, but generally presidents don't get involved there as a rule. And there, there are good reasons for that. They're, they're supposed to be an independent body that just helps the economy uh, regardless of politics. And I think that's good for all of us. I don't think anyone cares what political party they vote for. They want a good economy. And that's something the Federal Reserve is supposed to do regardless of who's president. The other side of that coin, though, is fiscal policy. And that is the policies put in place by the legislature, by Congress. So that does have a lot of effect as well on inflation. We were talking about uh, big stimulus bills. Both the Republicans and Trump put a big stimulus bill in at the beginning of COVID, and then the Democrats and Biden did too. So I, we can blame both sides for our inflation woes right now. Um, that, that's my political pandering to everyone to be neutral is blame everybody. <laughs> but you know, who knows what the future is going to be? Right now, nobody in Washington's really getting along within their parties or across parties. So I don't, I don't know what we'll see happen as far as fiscal policy goes. I don't know if we're going to see big spending bills agreed on or, or whatnot. If you see a big spending bill, it could cause a little inflation. You know, that makes sense. As we said, if we're putting a lot of money in the economy, that should help the economy grow, but it should also cause inflation. So there is a good chance that this stimulus, you know, we'll, we'll probably look back in 10 or 20 years from with good economic papers, you know, hindsight's always 2020 and be able to figure out what, inflation was caused by what in some ways from these government policies. But right now we're in it, so we can't really look back. Uh, so we just have to you know, make the best decisions we can for ourselves because and we don't know what the government's really going to do next. Uh, we don't know what inflation's going to do. So by making you know good, diverse investment decisions and keeping our risk in check, whatever inflation does, we should hopefully be okay. Yeah, that's a great summation. So, yes, there were, you know, both sides of the political aisle have had these big spending bills. And what was the alternative, I suppose? I mean, you don't want to just uh, fight inflation for inflation's sake. Inflation may be inevitable, but you have to fix bridges. You have to, you know, repair roads. You have to, when everyone's out of work, or where there's difficult situations with, you know, the uh, personal protective equipment that we had, you need to, um, you know, throw money at that. So the alternative sometimes is worth it to see an increase in inflation. So since the policymakers will do whatever they need to do, what we elect them to do, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, you know, we talked about today some things that young lawyers and really anyone can do when that inevitability comes that inflation will rise. Yeah, so I think... You you said the exact words that I was thinking of right in there. Is it worth it? So inflation might be worth it in some cases. You know, we were really at the precipice of a 
almost total economic collapse. Like it, it could have happened. It was uh, if you watch all those disaster shows on uh, Discovery Channel, like this is the stuff they were talking about. Like there's a giant disease and everyone's locked in their houses and like, it, things were scary and going crazy. And if the cost to fix that situation was higher inflation, to me, that was worth it. You know, you have, again, everyone's political opinions are, are going to be different. So you know, that's up to you what you think was worth it. To me, uh, I think it was worth it. You know, did we know it was going to be 7% inflation versus 5 or 10? You know, I, that, that's hard to get that specific. I don't think politicians can forecast that. <laughs> we don't have those kinds of crystal balls. Uh, but we did have a big problem where people were not able to go to work and we didn't want people to go hungry. And if the way we fix that is by putting a little money in the economy and adding inflation, I think within reason, that's okay. It's when you see things like in Zimbabwe or in Venezuela, where you know at the end of the week, your paycheck's worth half. I mean, that's obviously a huge problem. We can't have anything like that. But you know, 5% inflation, 7%, if it's for a year or so, and then it goes away, I'd say that was probably worth it. But it becomes less worth it if it goes on longer. The longer it goes, the more it costs us. And because interest rates compound on each other, just like investments grow over time with your interest rates, uh, inflation has the same effect. So yeah, we definitely don't want to see it go up uh, much more from where it is right now, I'd imagine. We'd probably rather see it go down, but we don't want to smother the economy in doing that. So the Fed and Congress have a really hard job to kind of unwind a lot of stimulus one issue that we kind of had was with the Trump tax bill, um, whether or not you liked it. That kind of a bill is a big example of a fiscal policy. Lowering tax rates adds a lot of money to people's pockets. Uh, so by doing that, when the economy was really good, we lost the ability to use that card when the economy wasn't so good. Uh, so we also have to think as a as a nation when do we want to pull what levers and some levers if we pull them we won't be able to again in the future uh, so we have to be careful uh, but yeah so is it worth it I, i'd say it was a, lo- a very roundabout way of saying <laughs> yes i think so uh, we have to be careful well i think that that last point that you made was excellent advice especially to our listeners of young lawyers who frankly a good chunk of them will go on to be leaders in government and whether it's whether it's as their young lawyers or later on in their career after practicing law and and they've made their money and they want to go represent their fellow Americans. So uh, so thank you for that. This has just yeah. been another uh, great conversation that we've had to help young lawyers just get another aspect of something they need to consider when considering their own financial wellness. So, Eric, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you if they want to get in touch? Sure. Yeah. So when when you become a senator and you need help on your inflation policy proposals, <laughs> you can reach me at Eric Profits on Twitter. That's a really quick way to get me. Or just go to ericrosenberg.com. There's a contact page there. And I'd love to hear from you and, and hear what you think about inflation in this episode and and uh, help you create your policies when, when you're running the country. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great being here. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. 
Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org slash join. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Young Lawyer Rising is for young lawyers by young lawyers. Thank you to Eric Rosenberg for joining me for a second time. Eric and I talked about things young lawyers can do to survive and fight inflation. Nothing said in this episode is financial advice. If you found this content valuable, please give us the highest rating you can and leave us a review, both of which will help others discover this show. This episode was written by me and produced by me and Lawrence Coletti, edited and mixed by Adam Lockwood. Until next time, I'm Matthew Curvis, and this has been Young Lawyer Rising from the American Bar Association Young Lawyers Division. Music